This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ring it and sense is brought to you by Franklin Templeton. Good morning. You're tuned in to Ring it and sense, the show all about personal finance. And I'm Sim Weeboon. Even if you're new to investing, you may already know some of the most fundamental principles of sound investing. How did you learn them? Well, through ordinary real-life experiences. For an example, have you ever noticed that the street vendor or the sundry shop around the corner sells a array of seemingly unrelated products? You know, sometimes they have umbrellas and sunglasses and they, they might seem odd and you would wonder like, why would a person need to buy both? Probably never, but that's the point because when it's raining, it's easier to sell an umbrella, but harder to sell sunglasses. And the other way around, when it's sunny, of course, you buy sunglasses. It all goes back down to this. By selling both items, they are diversifying their product line. They are allocating their assets in a way where the vendor reduces the risk to lose money. So if that makes sense to you, you've already got somewhat a good basic understanding of asset allocation and diversification. But for a more financial perspective of this discussion, joining me is Stephen Young, a licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory, to share some of his thoughts. Good morning, Stephen. Let's start off with some basics. Are there different ways, Stephen, to allocate your assets in your investment portfolio, different ways to approach asset allocation, and what factors into this? Well, I really liked your introduction earlier of how uh, using the energy of a, of a salesperson looking at different types of goods to sell. And similarly as well for an investor, quite often you will find that they won't want to have different assets, um, different types of investments and put them all together in the name of diversification. But for a lot of Malaysians though, what actually happens is that when we invest, we either read something online or we hear about it on, on a show or a webinar or maybe we were approached by a salesperson and then we accumulate certain investments here and there. But I would actually try to position that a better approach really to look at how your, all your investments should look together is to actually have your own personalized investment plan, which actually means have your own personalized asset allocation. So instead of leaving it to randomness or to chance, there's actually science behind the process of how you should allocate your assets into different investment asset classes. So an analogy of that would be like you have a jigsaw puzzle where you have your perfect ideal investment plan and how your assets should look like. Then only you look for all the right pieces to actually fit into your own personalized investment plan. And that's, you know, at the most basic of what is asset allocation. Okay, so to let's assume that the person we're talking to now is just has just started on their investment journey. Are there already kind of like set asset allocation strategies that you know of? Or is it truly up to the person to really personalize, thereby making my asset allocation different from the person next to me? So it is a mix of that. There are certain guidelines when it comes to asset allocation, but you will really want to look at it on how it fits your own risk profile, your own investment goals. For example, it doesn't make sense to build an investment profile with the asset allocation. They are trying to push, say, 15 20%, 30% returns a year, but at the risk of your entire portfolio going to zero. So right at the start is to really identify there's actually five major asset classes. The first being cash and cash equivalents. So this will include things like your fixed deposits, high-yield savings accounts, um, funds in money market funds. Second will be fixed income. So this will be things like bonds, bond funds, fixed price funds. Third will be equities, whether you invest through directly in stocks, use uh, ETFs uh, to get equities exposure. 
fourth would be in properties, whether you buy physical properties, uh, commercial, residential, land, real estate investment, trust, REITs. And the fifth would be alternative investments, things like gold, cryptocurrency, peer to peer funding, etc. So, Sim, you mentioned that for someone who's really just starting out on investing and new to investing, the best way is to buy into a portfolio that already gives you some form of asset allocation. And in fact, we are, for most Malaysians, already exposed to that. Did you know that EPF, Employees Provident Fund, it itself is a fund and they have their own strategic asset allocation, which goes about 50% of fixed income, about 20% into equities, they hold about 5-10% into properties, and a little bit in, in uh, liquid cash, about 5-10% to 10% range. So similarly as well, out of EPF, you would also be looking at things like robo-advisors or otherwise known as digital wealth managers or managed portfolios, which typically would give you access to at least equities and bonds, which are fixed income. And sometimes they would also include a little bit into REITs, uh, which gives you property asset allocation, as well as even alternative investments, uh, commonly through gold. Okay, so that aside, the kind of like established portfolios that you are somewhat or rather invest, uh, already involved in, namely EPF. But if that person wants to start their own journey, which do you think should come first? Should it be cash? Should it be equities or something more fixed like bonds? Uh, should they start first and then move on, move, I mean, expand? Well, in an ideal world, you would want to have a mix of all five of those asset classes. Um, but even no matter what risk profile that you are. So for example, let me give you an example of someone who's uh, taking a moderate level or otherwise known as a balanced level of risk. You want to hold about 5% in, in cash. You want to hold about 35% in uh, fixed income. You want to hold about 45% in equities. You want to hold about 10% in uh, property and 5% in alternative investments. Of course, the, a quick reminder as well. The first thing before even looking at investing is to still build up your emergency savings funds first of say three to six months before you even look at investing. But beyond that, then it's really to look at the asset location and to build up all five areas. But if you had to choose just one area to start with, you probably would want to start with equities because equities would actually be the core of most investors' portfolios as well as historically, they would have the highest returns based on the risk-return performance level. Yeah, but equities, I think for the younger generation, there's somewhat of a perception barrier, right? I think most younger generation, you know, we're seeing more and more people being involved in alternatives, actually. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, definitely when you look at uh, returns, which are sexy and multiple beggars, as you mentioned, uh, five, ten, you know, a hundred times beggars. And especially newer asset classes may get a little bit more attention as well. So besides the balance of building up your asset allocation, ideally, you would also want to figure out what's within your circle of competency as well. And that may also very much tie into your interests. So for example, if you're very much into crypto, um, you understand how a blockchain works, you understand how NFTs, how the entire crypto space is evolving, that might actually give you an edge where it might make sense for you to start out with those areas. What you will want to avoid though is for any particular asset class to become so overweighted that every time the market takes even a bit downwards, then your heart bit actually drops in free fall and you can't sleep at night. And this is actually, although we're talking, for example, newer asset class like crypto, this is something that's actually not new. Human behavior, investor psychology 
it's not new at all. So imagine if a couple of generations um, ago, you know, uh, since we're about the same age. So imagine for our parents' generation, for example, instead of crypto, they were looking at property because property was something that they could see. Wow, you can collect rentals. And we are still seeing those effects up to today as well. That uh, for a lot of older investors, especially property is way too high as an allocation in their portfolios, making up often for Malaysians between 30 to 60% of the entire investment portfolio. So imagine, you know, if you go through a prolonged property slump or you're unable to uh, rent out, let's say there's another pandemic and um, your property is just unable to be rented out and you're still paying loans for that, that would be a severe impact as well. So no matter what asset class you're looking at, you need to have the right balance and the right mix. Let's talk about like unit trusts or even robo-advisors. These platforms, they are already diversified and has allocated their assets. And even to some platforms, they give you the option to choose your weightage depending on your preference, right? By investing in these, do you, do you think it's enough to consider that you already have a diversified portfolio? So the usage of digital wealth managed platforms, it's a good start. By no, no means, it's perfect as well. And it's also to recognize that different platforms would have different strategies and different allocations as well. So let's say a, a digital platform that is diversified into different ETS, for example, but it might actually have a very strong concentration where most of the investments are located in the States, in the United States of America, for example. So that would also mean that you wouldn't have a diversification across different uh, regions, different sectors, uh, different countries as well. So you would want to have using these digital platforms as one of the bases to consider, but not as the sole investment that you make. So you would want to have different other asset classes, different other investments. It's probably not a wise idea to put, you know, a significant or majority portion of your wealth into a singular platform as well. So you would want to have that mix across different platforms. Okay, we're going to take a short break for some messages. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. Bring it and sense is brought to you by Franklin Templeton. Welcome back. You're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense and I'm Sim Weeboon. Today's topic is asset allocation and Stephen Yong, a licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory, joins me today as our special guest to discuss how you can better allocate the various assets in your portfolio to optimize its performance. Stephen, how do you view asset allocation from a geographical perspective? And everyone would start with local, right? But then as you expand your investment um, allocation, your your portfolio, you would want to look overseas. How should you then approach it? Do you Should you kind of like uh, look towards the five uh the five assets first where you're involved in all five and then step out or, you know, be, be diversified in each of it first one by one. How do you approach that then? So the process of building up your own investment portfolio using asset allocation is actually a process that's always ongoing, always continuous. So you would want to see in what areas that you actually need to focus your attention and your hard-earned money in. So for a lot of Malaysians, we tend to have too much of a home bias. So ideally, when you're actually investing locally, you should have no more than 50% of your investments within Malaysia. And that's because you want to avoid single country concentration risk. For example, facing uh, political economic uh, concerns, which may be a drag when it's all very largely focused into a singular country. So at a high level, you would want to aim to have at least 50% or more of your investments outside 
of your home country that you are at. There's actually five different levels of diversification as well, besides the asset allocation. And that would be diversification across uh, different asset classes, diversification across different countries, diversification across different uh, sectors, uh, diversification across uh, different risk profiles, and diversification across time as well. So, for example, the last one, diversification over time would also mean that when you're looking at investing, to not dump everything in at a singular point in time, but you would want to spread out those investments because in general, for someone who's actually trying to time the market, they are actually wrong 50% or more of the time, where if you actually spread out your investments over a period of time, it may more make more sense and help you to enter at a lower cost of entry in average. Okay, so... Um- you you alluded to do like you no know, no one can really predict the market right so I mean you know if everyone can predict the future then they would be millionaires or billionaires so going back to asset allocation right it's somewhat hard to sometimes determine the weightage of each asset that you're allocating because you can't really predict how things will be right you know like if you are more weighted towards stock who knows um you know in the following month if stocks are very stormy then you would be your entire portfolio would be at risk similarly if you're more weighted towards maybe like properties if the proper market is down then you know you you would be in a tough uh, position so how do you kind of like uh maybe correctly allocate your asset and then maybe along the time what do you look at to make the necessary adjustments you're right about that, Sim, that none of us have a crystal ball able to look into the future when it comes to investments. But when we actually look at volatility, looking at how different asset classes move in uh, different directions, whether upwards or downwards during different economic scenarios, that is actually something that you can use to your advantage. So the first thing that one would do as you start out with building your investment asset allocation, if you haven't yet done so, is really to find out how is your asset allocation across the five asset classes, which just as a recap would be between cash, fixed income, equities, properties, and alternative investments. So then you know what will be the gap between where you are right now and where you should be ideally. And if the gap is too small, say, you should have, say, uh, 35% in the asset class, but you have only 30%. If it's typically within a 5% range, then it's not something to worry about because that's just normal volatility. But if it's more than that, then it means that it's something that you should look at to actually rebalance your portfolio. So when we look at rebalancing, it's actually a very good practice to actually rebalance every once a year. So you don't want to be rebalancing too often because it might mean that investments which are performing, you actually take profit too soon and you end up not getting the full potential gains that you would have. But if you rebalance, for example, once a year, what would happen is that investments that are doing very well at a period of time, they would typically be overvalued possibly at that point of time. So you would actually trim or take profits of some of those investments and then invest it in some of the currently undervalued investments. So by doing that, you would then automatically be able to follow the most simple adage when it comes to investing, which is to buy low and sell high. So just by doing that, it would actually generate you an outperformance or alpha of approximately 1% to 3% a year, which doesn't seem like a lot. But if it compounds over a period of time, it makes a very significant difference in your nice investment portfolio at the end of the day. 
What do you think is an optimal portfolio? Is it, uh, is it its ability to weather the storm and generate some return, be it high or low, despite uncertainties? Or something that brings in uh, more gains in a longer term? I mean, w- w- what are your thoughts? On- you would want to try to find what would be the optimal risk-reward ratio. And there would be models or baselines in place, which gives you an idea. How does your asset allocation, how does your investment portfolio stack up with the average investor who is invested into that same asset allocation that you have? So for example, if you're a balanced or a moderate investor, moderate risk profile investor, you will probably be looking at trying to achieve about 6% returns on your entire portfolio. While if you're on the aggressive side, you're probably looking about 7 8 uh, percent returns uh, on average um, every year. So these benchmarks allow you to compare where you are in relation to the performance of these benchmarks. And ideally, if you can actually push your investment returns above that. So you would want to see what would be the relation between your different asset classes. So ideally, you, your diversification across the asset classes, the whole purpose of it is that it actually increases your returns without actually increasing your risk profile by too much. So an example of that, and you mentioned crypto earlier as well. So there was actually a study published by the CFA Institute in the States where they showed that for Bitcoin, which is the uh, largest uh, crypto asset class, if you actually held up to 4% of Bitcoin in your portfolio, it would actually increase the returns of your portfolio without actually increasing the risk that the portfolio would have. So what do you think are the common mistakes people would make then with asset allocation? The biggest mistake that investors would make when it comes to asset allocation would be your own personal bias because all of us have different viewpoints of how we look at um, money. So for example, um, our experiences with money, they typically make up like 0.0001% of what all of us experience in in the world, but it shapes about 80% of how we actually view money. So whether knowingly or unknowingly, we may have biases towards certain investments, especially if something has been performing for a while and your confidence starts to build up. And then you suddenly think that this is the best thing since sliced bread. And then you put a large portion of your investments all into that particular asset class. So a lot of us especially if you're new to investing, may not have gone through times where markets were actually going through dips, going through corrections, and the asset classes that you have been holding on to may not perform at that period of time. So rather than trying to pivot or trying to change your strategies when things start going south, it would be better to possibly give up potentially a couple of percentage points in returns but ultimately knowing that instead of your portfolio dipping, say, 20-30%, when there's a correction, maybe you might face a correction of 5-10%. So giving you that peace of mind and letting you sleep at night, knowing that your investments are still working hard for you. Okay, so finally then, you know, looking at your portfolio and the asset allocation you've made, how do you measure the progress? How do you track it? You know, what kind of goals should a person, you know, likewise set so that they, they, they're aware of the progress? Because I think, uh, a lot of people, they whether they are active or not, they, they, they sometimes automate the way they do their investments. So is, is, is there any kind of like advice you have on how you can keep track and, of your progress? So first, I would suggest is to find out what's your ideal investor asset allocation and how, how near or how far are you from that allocation. Secondly, 
would be to actually track your overall returns. So a good way to track that is to actually find out what's the compounding annual growth rate. And that's probably something that you may need to calculate out on your own or with the help of a finance professional. Because if you actually just depend on the reports that are given to you, oftentimes the reports are not actually the compounding annual growth rate. So you would want to calculate that out yourself so you know whether are you outperforming or underperforming in your overall asset allocation. Thirdly, then would be to zoom in into each individual investment and see which are actually performing. And if there are certain investments which are underperforming at that stage, is it just a temporary dip? Or is it something that's more long-term and you should actually cut losses and actually stop that investment and deploy your investments elsewhere so not to miss out that opportunity cost? All right. And with that, we come to the end of our episode of Ringgit and Sense. That was Stephen Young, a licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. This is Ringgit and Sense and I'm Sim Wee Boon. Join us again next week for more discussions on personal finance. We've got the 10am news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense is brought to you by Franklin Templeton. Say hello to progress and to a better financial future at franklintempleton.com.my slash hello progress. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.